The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Welcome to Beside Still Waters. And I'm glad you could join me today as we talk about the last days or the end times. As you know, uh, and it's my constant reminder that this podcast is devoted to helping Christians from all denominations uh, develop a genuine, life-changing walk with God. And all that is, is seeking to live with the consciousness that I'm holding the hand of God, as it were, And through every circumstance, I am mindful of his presence with and in me and seeking to uh, foster that always in his presence uh, way of thinking and behaving. And of course, uh, that goal uh, really doesn't change, even though we're dealing with uh, end time events. Uh, We must still endeavor to walk with God. So if you recall, uh, from our last podcast, we were uh, in the book of Matthew, chapter 24, and Jesus was responding to the disciples' adoration of the temple. And uh, he began with a discourse about its destruction and the circumstances prevailing at the end of what is known as Gentile dominion. Now, For today's podcast, I want you to keep this in mind. Many people focus primarily on the natural catastrophes such as tsunamis and earthquakes and hurricanes and the like. However, that time frame, those end time events, brings to the forefront what I think is an extraordinary development. And that is this the complete dissolution of relationships and natural familial affections. The complete dissolution of those bonds that keeps families together and society together in spite of the ills that we typically see in our time. There's going to be complete societal anarchy. This phenomenon, uh, I think, is certainly more profound than uh, the occurrence of natural disasters. What we are going to see that uh, the prophetic writers highlight is a complete moral disintegration, a societal disintegration. Uh, Paul, for example, in writing to the uh, Thessalonian Christians, urged them not to be shaken in mind nor troubled, neither by spirit or by word or by letter, whether it came from them, uh, 
to this point that the day of Jehovah was present. And, and uh, we'll find that in 2 Thessalonians uh, uh, chapter 2. This is one of the, the issues that uh, that early church was wrestling with. Are we in the day of Jehovah? And what we must realize is that when we are walking with God, it necessitates for all of us uh, that our trust, our uh, that we should seek to develop a childlike trust that although our times and circumstances might appear to be out of control, yet they are within God's perfect control. And so at the end of the day, the critical need is faith. Faith that God is an all-knowing, all-loving God who cares for his children at all times and in all circumstances. Troublous times do not mitigate his providential care for us. And at the very outset, I want to say this, as long as the Holy Spirit of God is present on the earth, indwelling each believer, each child of God, there are certain events that will never occur. And I repeat, as long as the Holy Spirit is present on the earth, and how is he present? He is present in that he indwells every believer, every child of God, everyone who lives with the consciousness that their sins and iniquities have been forgiven and pardoned. These events that we're looking at cannot come to pass. And we'll see why a little later on. But the removal of the church from this space of judgment also means that the Holy Spirit has been removed from the earth. And what follows is what we're going to address today. So in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the 3rd, 4th, and 6th verse, it says, Let not anyone deceive you in any matter, because it will not be unless the apostasy have first come and the man of sin have been revealed, the son of perdition, who exalts himself on high against all called God or object of veneration, so that he himself sits down in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And now you know that which restrains that he should be revealed in his own time. So before we address uh, the moral disintegration of our society globally, we need to understand that the reason why the times that you know, we are living in are not the, the specific, uh, typical last days that people tend to think, oh, are we in the tribulation period? And they ask that question. Are we in the last days of Gentile dominion? Okay? And the question is, why? How can a person say, we're not there yet? Well, I mentioned before that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is present on the earth in earthen vessels. That is, you and me. And as long as he is present, this great apostasy and the unveiling of the Antichrist will not take place. And I want to repeat that. As long as he, the Spirit of God, is on the earth, indwelling these earthen vessels, this great falling away that is uh, prophesied will not be seen 
nor will the Antichrist be known because the Spirit of God is the buffer, the preventative from this event occurring. In addition to the presence of the Spirit of God on earth, Paul also says that the mystery of lawlessness is also at work simultaneously while the Holy Spirit is on the earth. So lawlessness is at work and lawlessness is growing. But lawlessness cannot break forth in its raw, unadulterated, unrestrained fashion as long as the Spirit of God is present in us. But I want to remind you, my beloved, that if we're walking with God, we are not asleep, but we are watching and waiting for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul exhorts Christians not to be troubled or upset or worried as to whether or not the day of Jehovah has arrived. But I want to ask this question. How will those who are left behind on the earth know that the day of Jehovah, the day of the Lord, has come? Well, let's look at it. One of the characteristics is that there's going to be a global rejection of exclusive monotheistic uh, savior language, if you will, from all discourse, all belief systems, which is the, uh, how can I say, that's the precursor to this moral decay. There will be a clear global rejection of exclusive monotheistic religions or the need for a savior. And in its place will be a religion where the man of sin, the Antichrist, will be the one that is worshipped. And that the nations of earth uh, will embrace a one world religion. And it will be, this religion will be devoid of any message of a savior from heaven specifically or any message of eternal consequences or the need for holy living. Uh, I'll give you what I, this is just my creative way of saying, okay, it, you know, if, if they're going to create a message that's going to be communicated globally by all the nations and all the governments, it, in my head, it, it, re, it might read something like this. And, and again, this is just a creative example. We do not adhere to or believe in any God that ascribes sinfulness to men. We are advocates of God living in man and man being free to express himself spiritually as he wishes. For man is inherently good. We do not believe in a Bible or a creed or anything that ascribes messiahship to any man exclusive of all others. Any language, statements, or opinions that contradict this message will be subject to severe penalties, confiscation of property, incarceration, or whatever the state deems necessary in order to support an ecumenical, all-embracing faith on earth. All faiths can practice their beliefs, but it is illegal to denigrate any faith or religion by suggesting it is wrong or consigns men to perdition. Worship within the bounds of your faith, but do not ascribe inferiority to someone else's faith. Such actions or language 
will be reported to the Department of Religious Affairs. <laughs> and that's my creative way of saying I can foresee a law being passed globally stating something like this. Now, in addition, we are told through the revelation given to John when the Lord Jesus, the lamb that was slain, that took in his hands the seven-sealed scroll, and you'll find this in Revelation chapter 5, the first eight uh, verses. Once he did that, he receives the worship of heaven by the four living creatures and the 24 elders, all falling before him, singing and saying, You are worthy to take the book and to open its seals, because you have been slain and have redeemed to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and made them to our God a kingdom of priests, and they shall reign over the earth. And then John went on in chapter 6 to write this. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as a voice of thunder, come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon it having a a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went forth conquering, and that he might conquer. And so, the Antichrist will be unveiled on earth. Only when the Lord Jesus breaks that first seal and not a moment earlier. My dear beloved saints, these events are governed, controlled from heaven, from God, by God himself. The Antichrist, he will come with a message of peace. As John foresaw, he will also come as a savior from the chaos that is ensuing on the earth. And many are of different opinions as to what caused complete chaos on a global scale. We'll address that at a later podcast. His white horse is symbolic of one who would rescue earth from its chaos and wars. But at the same time, he comes as a counterfeit Christ. In addition, this man will be skilled because he possesses a bow, but he will have no arrows. Therefore, he comes with a message of peace. And this is the only way he will be able to deceive the whole earth because he will be perceived as a man who brings peace and a man who makes peace. And because of his influence, He will be crowned as earth's leader, and he's going to go forth conquering. Nations will not be able to stand before him for this one reason. He will possess a a powerful ability to deceive that is satanically originated. So you ask the question, well, how can he be so influential? Well, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the 8th to the 10th verse addresses this. And Paul writes, and then the lawless one, that is the Antichrist, the man of sin, the one world leader. And then the lawless one shall be revealed, whose coming, and here it is, is according to the working of Satan in all power and signs 
and wonders of falsehood and in all deceit of unrighteousness to them that perish, because they have not received the love of the truth that they might be saved. His coming is according to the working of Satan, the energy, the wisdom that he possesses, the dark wisdom, is driven and fueled by Satan himself. And Paul indicates that this influence, this power, will have as its backing Satan himself. He will have, this man, this leader, will have the capacity to work miracles, signs, and wonders with one intent, to deceive the world. After that, he is consumed by one objective. Deceive as many souls as possible so that he may destroy them. He has blinded men and they have rejected the truth concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and could have been saved. However, at some point in the last three and a half years of this seven-year time of trouble, this three and a half years of Gentile dominion, apart from all the judgments that are originating from God, we are told that Satan was cast into the earth along with his angels, which are demons. And we find this in the 12th chapter of uh, Revelation, the first nine verses. And we are told that there was war in heaven. Now, this, these are the unseen events that are driving, I want to say this, that are driving events on earth during this this time of trouble, these last days, as it were, the, 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 the onset of the day of Jehovah. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels went to war with the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. And he, the dragon, prevailed not, nor was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, the ancient serpent, he who is called devil, and Satan, he who deceives the whole habitable world. And he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. His angels were cast out with him. It was, in fact, there's more to it. This, this heavenly warfare is believed to have occurred just prior to at a, or at around the three and a half year uh, period before the end of Gentile dominion, as I mentioned before. Uh, so the question is, how would anyone on earth know that something has occurred in heaven? Okay, how, how would people know, especially those that are seeking to survive, the, the believers at that time, how would they know? Well, it was not too long after the heavenly event that John, in chapter 13 of his revelation, saw a beast rising out of the sea or from among the masses. And this beast was a satanically originated and empowered government headed up by the Antichrist himself. But the nature of this government is that it will endorse Satan worship as well as worship of the Antichrist. So in chapter 13 it says, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, and upon its horns ten diadems, and upon its heads names of blasphemy. 
And the beast which I saw was like a leopardess, and his feet as of a bear, and his mouth as of a lion's mouth, and the dragon, here it is again, the dragon gave to it his power and his throne and great authority. And one of his heads was slain as to death, and his wound of death have been healed. And the whole earth wondered after the beast, and they did homage to the dragon because he gave authority to the beast, and they did homage to the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who can make war with it? And there was given to it a mouth speaking great things and blasphemy, and there was given to it authority to pursue its career 42 months, also three and a half years. So it was at this point that we see the complete moral societal disintegration on a global scale. It was bad in the first three and a half years, but now, it, as it were, the hinges have been removed, and now we are hastening to the ushering in of the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And things could not have gotten worse because in that same narrative, uh, uh, John did write that, you know, he wrote, woe to the earth because <laughs> Satan has been cast down to the earth. I mean, that's when things become really bad. And, and here, is, here is how we know that this man receives his power, his ability from Satan himself. In chapter 13, the 7th and 8th verse of Revelation, it says, And there was given to it to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And there was given to it authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation. And all that dwell on the earth shall do it homage and everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation, from the founding of the world in the book of life of the slain lamb. His one objective is not to ushering, usher in a utopia. This satanically driven objective is to kill everyone who has placed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter who they are, no matter what part of the earth that they are. And God has allowed this. This is important. It was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. He is going to, there's going to be martyrdom on a scale unprecedented. It's coming. And this world leader, who is the, the incarnation of Satan on the earth, which is the counterfeit to the Lord Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, this incarnate satanic leader will lead the earth in such a way that it unleashes lawlessness and anarchy in an unprecedented fashion. And God allows this ruler to persecute to the point of martyrdom all those who place their faith in the coming king and whose kingdom from this point is roughly three years ahead. And as it says in the seventh verse, he makes war with the saints, but please note, it was given to him to do so and to overcome them. 
Martyrdom will be one of the signals or signs that the end of Gentile dominion is near because God allows his people to be wiped out from the face of the earth. But please note, my dear friends, <laughs> for every saint that holds the hand of the living God, he will raise them from the dead and they will be given new bodies that they may live and dwell in the millennial kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. So even though the Antichrist appears to be prevailing over the people of God, in the end, he fails because they will be resurrected from the dead yet again. Now, we can sort of dial back a bit and, and even go to the prophetic writings in uh, Daniel. And Daniel in chapter 7 and the 19th to about the 21st verse says, Then I desired to know the certainty concerning the fourth beast. Of course, he had a vision con concerning several beasts, which were kingdoms that will be on the earth, such as Babylonia and, and Medes and the Persians and Greece and, and, and Rome. But there was a fourth beast, uh, which was different from them all, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron and its nails of brass, which devoured and broke in pieces and the, uh, uh, the rest with his feet. And concerning the ten horns that were in his head and the other that came up and before which three fell. Even that horn had eyes and a mouth speaking great things and whose look was more imposing than its fellows. And I beheld and that horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the ancient of days came. So here it is. Not only John under the New Covenant, but Daniel, under the Old Covenant, saw the same phenomenon, that there's a, a, a moral breakdown to the point where the, the lives of those who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ was worth nothing. And so, at this moment, I don't want us to focus on the nature of that great kingdom that will eventually arise in the last days, but in this podcast, we are looking at the character of this man who is called the man of sin, the Antichrist. The character. What is noteworthy in the eyes of Daniel is not so much who he is, but what his objective is. And Daniel noted that he made war with the saints and he sought their destruction. And he was successful in the martyrdom of all those who put their faith in a coming Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this was his agenda, which speaks clearly to the hatred that Satan has for the people of God and for the cause of Christ. This is one of the hallmarks that will tell the generation beholding these events that the end of Gentile dominion and the ushering in of the millennial kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ is literally at the doorsteps. So let's, let's step back and sort of look at the, the big picture. When we look at Daniel uh, chapter 7, those two verses, 21 and 22, uh, we see Satan's key objective, and that is to delay or prevent the ushering in of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is, this is, if we boil it down, this is what he's attempting to do. Delay or prevent the ushering in of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in order to do so, he either has to disrupt or thwart God's plan. And he attempted to do this in the following ways. In Eden, 
for example, when he deceived Eve and caused Adam's downfall. He also did it by trying to wipe out the, uh, the holy line, if you will, when Cain slew Abel. And throughout the, from the Garden of Eden to the Great Flood, uh, Satan's attempt was always to eradicate that holy line of men and women whose faith were fixed in this Jehovah God. He also attempted again by seducing and influencing the evil that prevailed during the days of Noah. He attempted again during the time of the judges where we are told in the scriptures, every man did what was right in his own eyes. Satan always creates or attempts to create an environment where holiness and the desire to walk with God is literally stamped out. And he did it again during the kings of Israel, that, that the nation was seduced into idol worship and they paid dearly for their apostasy. So the key point here is that Satan's objective is always to cause men to go into perdition in outright, unbridled rebellion against God. Jesus said concerning Satan that he is a thief who has but three objectives, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And I think we find that in John chapter 10. And so the Lord Jesus also has objectives, and we won't deal with it in detail here in this podcast, but he is calling out to himself a holy people. Peter, in his first letter, addresses that. We are peculiar people, a royal nation, whose sins have been forgiven, iniquities have been pardoned, and placed in the earth and the world to be salt and light in a chaotic cosmos. And all such are indwelt by the Spirit of God and identified as those who will reign with our Lord Jesus Christ in his millennial kingdom. Now, there's much more to it. We're not the only ones. We have also the nation of Israel who will have a prominent role uh, in this millennial kingdom. And we'll cover these topics in, in, in our uh, subsequent podcasts. So let, let's just summarize our thoughts just for today. I know it's difficult to envision a global rebellion against walking with God. And I know sometimes we all can say that we've experienced this uniquely on a smaller scale, perhaps within our you know, family structure, sometimes on the job, or just happenstance uh, circumstances as we go about our, our daily affairs. But can you envision the challenge of walking with God in a holy life when the majority of all the earth, not just your local township, but the whole earth, has turned away from the living God and resorted to Satan worship as well as the worship of a man, the Antichrist. And Paul stated that this phenomenon will clearly indicate that we are in literally the final days before the return of our Lord Jesus Christ and the establishment of his millennial kingdom. But I want to just say this to you and to remind my heart, my dear friend, we are faced with the objective of holding the hand of the living God himself. We are 
endeavoring to live a worshipful life. And no matter what we discuss concerning end times, here's the point for you personally in today's podcast. I want to urge and encourage you to let your confidence, your faith, your trust, let it rest securely in a God who gives you future events with such clarity and accuracy. Knowing this, that if he says what will come to pass by his hand, then it will. And as such, he can be trusted with the good of your eternal soul, preserved to be in his presence no matter what. And I urge you, my dear friend, to commit yourself to meeting with God in this place of quiet. We've often said in almost every podcast to to walk with God beside still waters. And that's just a euphemism to say, labor at establishing an intimate relationship with the Lord. Let this be the primary objective of your life. And let God take control of the events that he promises he is in control of, whether in heaven or in earth. And their destruction or preservation or the recreation is a future event. And no man, no matter how intelligent or powerful, can affect delay, or influence the outcomes that our God has placed in his power alone. God alone is sovereign. God is sovereign. And as uh, one of the biblical writers in the New Testament said, that that, uh, according to his promise, we, you and I, wait for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. But as for the day-to-day events, what do we do today? (laughs) Well, Paul says it clearly as he wrote to the Colossian believers. In chapter 3, I think verse 17, he says, And everything, whatever you may do, in word or deed, do all things in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. This is what worshipful living looks like. This is what walking with God looks like. Whatever I'm doing, whatever is before me, whatever my task, my labor for the day, uh, even in my my, uh, recreation, whatever I'm doing, if it involves saying something or doing something, Paul urges us to take that task and perhaps pause right where you are, just briefly, and ask the Lord for grace to do it in such a way that he is pleased with it. And after it is done, thank him for that opportunity and on to the next and so forth all throughout the day. And before you know it, here you are pausing every time to include, to invite the living God to to be with you, to walk with you as you are endeavoring, endeavoring to walk with him. This is the evidence of worshipful living, not just Sunday worship, but taking advantage of every opportunity in the day-to-day events, whether in the home or on the job, or whether you're out and about 
everything can be performed, can be done, can be taken advantage of as an opportunity for a worshipful existence. And literally living in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, we have been relegated to walking with God for so many on a Sunday. And we ought to change that and swing the doors wide open and invite the living God to come into our homes as we raise our children or as we pay the bills or as we you know, clean our home or we're fixing the car. That we can invite him to be an ever-present help and to give grace to live in a manner that simply pleases him. Oh, my friends, we are looking at end-time uh, events, but let us take advantage of the current times to seek to walk with God beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.